0: We are uh, in this uh, series near the beginning on the book of Ruth and thinking about God's call to go forward, and particularly in this season, forward from our past to our future. Uh, and last week, we talked about um, the, the idea that begins with a commitment to not turn back, and we talked about Ruth's uh, similar commitment. Uh, and today, I want to talk about um, how um, from little, God can bring much. Uh, and and how our small steps forward can um, be incredible transformational things through the power of Jesus Christ. So I want to begin uh, by telling a story I read a few months ago. Uh, And this is about uh, a 99-year-old British World War II veteran named Captain Tom Moore. Uh, So Captain Tom Moore uh, was uh, uh, 99. He had hip surgery about 18 months before the pandemic happened. And... um, After the pandemic started, his daughter, who lives with him, was concerned about um, just him being active. So she made a challenge. She said, you know, Dad, I want to ask you to try to do one lap around our little home. And um, if you do one lap, I'll I'll give you one pound. uh, And if you you do it a hundred times, I'll give you a hundred pounds. Wouldn't it be cool if by your hundredth birthday, you did a hundred laps? And he said, well, that's great, but I don't want the money. What if we give it to some kind of charity or something? She said, that's great. Let's do that. And then she said, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. Uh, what if we, we put this on one of those fundraising websites and just to see if anybody might come along with us and do this with us as well? Uh, so Captain Tom, um, uh, sort of, well, I'm sure his, his daughter um, put it on the uh, whatever website, fundraising website they found, that um, any donations towards um, her dad's um, circles around their home would result in um, contributions to the National Health Service in, in, in England. And they were hoping to raise, you know, a, a $1,000 by the end of the month, which was pretty neat. Um, well, the, the story got picked up by, by the media, and it, it got a little bigger. And so I want to just share a little quick update on what happened with Captain Tom.
1: Captain Tom Moore had been to battle, but never like this. The 99-year-old World War II vet set out to raise $1,200 for healthcare workers walking laps in his garden. They're the front line who are doing their battery and we're all behind giving them a little pat on the back. Well, this is a lot more than a pat on the back. <laughs> his goal, walk 100 laps by his 100th birthday, April 30th. But within days, he raced past five million dollars, then ten, then fifteen. It was unbelievable. On Thursday, he walked the last 25 laps with a guard of honor by his side, as healthcare workers cheered, and the rest of us got just what we needed. A little bit of glow and a little bit of sunshine. Molly Hunter, NBC News, London. Hey, NBC hey, News pretty fans, pretty
0: awesome. Uh, So uh, this little step, right, just just this little idea of walking around his home for exercise resulted in $22 million of donations to the National Health Service in England. Uh, I heard that story a a few months ago, and as I heard it, I thought, boy, that that really sounds like the way God often works, doesn't it? Doesn't God often start with very little and then do um, incredibly more than we could imagine from it? Uh, I I think about the the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham, who's a man the Bible says is as good as dead. Sarah, who is past the childbearing age, uh, and and this elderly couple is promised that from them will come a nation as numerous as the stars and the sky and the sand on the seashore, and so it does. Uh, I think about the story of of David and Goliath when this little boy is called to stand up against this towering warrior with five smooth stones and a sling, and God secures a kingdom and makes a king. Uh, I I think about um, the five loaves and the two fish that Jesus uses to feed 5,000 people. I think about the 12 friends uh, who become 11 friends, and then from them, Jesus makes a billion-person movement. I think about one man from whom and through whom all humanity is saved. This idea is really straightforward, that again and again in Scripture, from little, God brings much. Uh, And I think one of the keys is that in every one of those situations, um, we we don't know the end of the story, right? We see mostly the little And the the much seems impossible. What God can do seems beyond us. We can just see the little. And sometimes, um, sometimes it feels like we have even less than little. And I think that's where Ruth and Naomi begin their story. I think they begin feeling like they have less than little. That they are um, without any kind of financial means in the world, without family, without support. Um, They are without work and, and literally without food. And in this moment, you can imagine how overwhelming their little must feel or how underwhelming their little must feel. Maybe you've had the experience of getting up in the morning and not knowing where your food would come from that day. Or maybe it's not food for you. Maybe um, you've had uh, the experience of feeling like you are not enough in a world that seems um, way bigger than you could handle and with struggles that seem beyond your comprehension, where the mountains of your life seem so impassable, so immovable, that there's no point to try, that the inertia of our lives can lock us down and leave us stuck I think that's where Naomi is in the beginning of the story. Naomi is so racked with grief um, from her past, from her story that when Ruth comes to her with a plan just to make ends meet for the day, she can literally only get two words out in the Hebrew, "Go my daughter," just two words, right is all she can manage to say. But Ruth has this incredible courage. Ruth has this incredible faithfulness. Ruth is willing to keep moving forward, even in these very, very small ways, even something as basic as just, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go look for some food today. And Ruth discovers, and I think we discover, that God can do so much from our little. God can do so much from our little. So Ruth goes, uh, and, and we are to understand at this point um, that she does not know the story of Boaz. She doesn't know that he's related to Naomi distantly, nor does she know that she's in Boaz's field, right? So Ruth goes to glean, uh, and just if you don't know, the, the uh, Old Testament commands that landowners leave the edges of their field for the poor and the resident alien and the widow and the orphans, so that they can come and find food. Now, even though the Scriptures command that, of course, many people didn't do that. And we have plenty of other Scripture telling us about how the powerful in Israel often oppressed those people groups, the resident alien and the poor and the orphan and the widow. And since Ruth is three of those, right, poor, widow, alien, um, she has some reason to be concerned. And so she says, um, I'm going to try to find someone in whose sight I may have favor. What what she means is, basically, I'm going to find someone who will allow it. Right? I, it's not a guaranteed thing, but I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to try to find some food for us today because your scripture says that your people should do this. And as we read the story of Ruth gleaning, we hear some themes about her character that are so incredible. We, we hear again and again her initiative, her hard work, her long hours, her courtesy, her humility. Uh, she doesn't step out in this small way with with anger or bitterness or a sense of injustice. She she does it in this unbelievably gracious way, and it's unbelievable how much God does from it. See, I think that very often stepping forward with God is not about big flashy actions or life-changing decisions or audible voices from the heavens. It's about ordinary little acts of faithfulness from which God can do more than we ever imagined. I have some friends uh, who a number of years ago were working in a, a, an inner city ministry called um, the Child Life Center. And there um, they met uh, one of the volunteers who was a, an inner city teacher, just an amazing single mom, a neat woman. Um, and as they came to know her and her, her son, who was a, 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 just an incredible kid, um, they, they discovered more of her life. They discovered how many trials and challenges she'd been through. Um, and and that family ended up getting involved uh, in, the, in the church. Both families actually got involved in the church, the, the, the one that was volunteering and, and the, the teacher. And over time, as, as we sort of came to realize how many struggles that single mom, that teacher was going through, um, we, we went to try to look for some help. And, and I went to this family who had volunteered, and I said, gosh, you know, I think, boy, I wonder if you could help out a lo- in, in, in some meaningful ways. And I remember them saying, ah, Jim, I don't know how much we can commit to, but... I'm sure we can help a little. And so they, they started out by saying, hey, you know, we'd love to do your laundry for you. We, we know how much is going on. We know how many stressors are happening in your life. We know, um, we'd love to just, can we do your laundry for you? Uh, and so they went to this uh, member's home and they got her laundry and they, they did her laundry for a number of weeks. And then um, that kind of grew a little bit, and uh, a few weeks later they were um, talking about, hey, you know what, you're, when when you're at work and your son's got to be home, we'd be willing to, you know, once in a, once a week or something, we could come just tutor him in some math or something. So the little tutoring came along, and then that grew a little bit, and uh, then they started saying, gosh, you know, we know you're in this and these financial difficulties and all this debt. Maybe we could sit down and try to make a budget out with you. Uh, and that grew a little bit, and that grew a little bit, and that grew a little bit. Um, when um, her son's family member's friends tried to recruit him into one of the local gangs in that inner city, um, this family said, oh, you know what, we're going to help. What if, we just, what if we got you in a, a Christian school out of that environment um, where those gangs are present so that you wouldn't have to make those choices? Uh, and, when, and when it was grandparents' day, at that local school, it was this couple that showed up right again and again as the grandparents of this child. And, and for year after year after year, uh, they poured into this family and made an eternal difference. I can't tell you all the ways they did. It was incredible. Uh, and I look back on their story and I think, boy, your little is all God needs. Sometimes your little is all God needs because God can make so much from your little. Uh, That's what happens with Boaz. Boaz is a a fascinating character, uh, and after Ruth, uh, the other sort of hero in this story, and Boaz, we told from the very beginning, is a a good guy, We're told he's a a man of prominence, And, and the significance there is, is not just that he's wealthy, but that he has um, great character, right? He's a, he's a good man. And we see from his first greeting of his, uh, of his workers, he blesses them in the name of the Lord, right? He, this is a guy who, who thinks about Yahweh and loves God uh, all the time. His name is always on his lips. And, and Boaz shows up, and, and, and he walks up to his foreman, and he says, hey, who's that young woman over there? Now, I'm going to do a little midrash here because this isn't in the Bible, but I think it makes some sense of the Bible. So uh, we get this really interesting series of blessings that Boaz does, right? He says, don't leave my field to Ruth. He says, stay with my young women. He says, the men won't bother you. He says, if you get thirsty, go drink. Um, And then there's one phrase at the end of the seventh verse um, that we have a trouble translating Um, our text says without resting even for a moment um, but there's a lot of debate about what that phrase means and and so there's a number of scholars that think um, that Boaz isn't just walking up and and doing a random act of kindness that something has happened before he arrived he's interrogating his foreman about so here's the logic Um, so um, as Boaz walks up he sees this young woman walking away right that's why he's going to say don't leave and he sees her walking away because of something that's happened to her um, by the reapers, by the harvesters who work for him, which is why he says, they're not going to bother you anymore. And, and what happened to her happened when she came to get a drink of water, which is why he says it's okay to come and get a drink, right? And so this isn't just a story of Boaz walking up and being nice to random people. It's a story of Boaz walking up uh, in what we might call a sort of a, a sexual harassment situation and saying, uh, I want to make this Right? And, and it's interesting how little it costs him and how much he gains from it, right? How little it costs him and how much it gains from He, he obviously could have said, nah, I'm not going to bother calling that woman back. Nah, I'm not going to take the side of a foreigner against my own workers. But instead, um, with just this little series of blessings, he restores some shalom, right? Some peace, some righteousness um, in his work and with this person. Don't go to glean another field but keep close to my young woman. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And her response is, how can you do this? You're so amazing to me. And he says, I have heard what you have done for your mother-in-law. Uh, and we, we get an interesting piece here. Um, I, I don't know to what extent Boaz knows this whole story, but, but maybe at this point, Boaz knows he has a distant connection to this woman, right? Maybe, we we don't know. Ruth doesn't know that she has any connection to him. Um, But after these blessings, after um, this act of righteousness, of justice, then he goes beyond that, right? He goes beyond justice. And verse 14, at at the mealtime, he says, "'Come and eat at my table.'" And then he tells his young men, um, rip off the sheaves and the standing wheat and leave it for her to gather. And, and there is this sense that um, Boaz is not just doing a little act of justice, but, but this little act of grace, right? Above and beyond what's deserved. And I love that Boaz says, may the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord just before he gives her this incredible grace. Because Boaz is part of God's repayment plan, and he knows it, right? He wants to be in on the work of God. He wants to be in on the work of of restoring and redeeming and gifting to people more than they deserve. And I think uh, just as Ruth demonstrates how her little faithfulness um, can be something with which God does much, so Boaz's little justice and his little grace does much for God. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, fan, a fan of a guy named Shane Claiborne, and I've, I've shared before some of his stories. He has a great book called The Irresistible Revolution. Uh, and he tells a story of a time when um, he went to um, Calcutta, India to work with Mother Teresa. And Shane's a guy like that, right? Like he just, one day he called up Mother Teresa and was like, hey, can I come visit? So uh, he spends a summer in Calcutta, and uh, he, he works primarily in, in the home for the destitute and dying. Uh, and, and if you don't know about Mother Teresa's ministry in Calcutta, a lot of it was um, taking care of people who were terminally ill and trying to give them a, a good death, right? To let them know that they were loved and valued and important and worthy, even in that final stage of their life. So he, he talks about his time in the, in the house of the destitute and dying. And he talks about um, that experience of, of trying to be faithful and just and gracious and this place of overwhelming suffering. He says, sometimes folks with medical training would come by and be overwhelmed with frustration because we had so few medical supplies. And the sisters would hastily explain that our mission was not to prolong life, but to help people die well. As Mother Teresa would say, we are not called to be successful, but to be faithful. That sounds good, but it was the beginning of my years of struggling with the tension between efficiency and faithfulness. When the temptation to do great things is always before us. In Caligat, I learned the discipline of doing small things with great deliberation. Mother Teresa used to say, we can do no great things, just small things with great love. It is not how much you do, but how much you love, how much love you put into doing it. Just as um, my friend Andy would reprimand people for using too much soap when washing dishes, we would mix ashes into the soap to multiply it. So I also heard many a volunteer scolded for not putting enough gravy on the rice since the plate was being served to Jesus himself. Uh, and, and then Shane tells a story of um, the, the, one of the ministries to the lepers that Mother Teresa did that he got to be a part of. And uh, he says that in their culture, uh, as maybe every culture, but in their culture, lepers were the absolute um, most extreme fringe of society. So much so that many lepers never learned the word for thank you in their language because they literally never had to use it. And Mother Teresa began this ministry, um, and over time, um, her desire to care for these um, people who were the, the least and the last in their culture grew. And, more and more lepers came into her ministry and then they began to care for each other. And he talks about how um, there are now over 150 families teaching one another thank you, growing their own vegetables, raising animals and fish, making their own shoes, sewing their own clothes. Uh, And and it's this beautiful vision of um, how a willingness to offer a little faithfulness and a little grace and a little justice can be something through which God does extraordinary things. Jesus has a parable about this. Uh, he talks about the mustard seed. Remember this parable when he says, the mustard seed is the smallest seed, um, but when you plant it, it grows to be the largest plant in the garden and the birds of the air can come and make their nests in it. And it's this idea of, um, from these tiny Tiny acts of faithfulness, the kingdom of God can grow and expand beyond our expectations. That sometimes the mountains seem immovable, but if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, God can do so much from your little. Now, I think it's great to know that God can bring much from our little, but that's not, what, that's not all that this story in Ruth is about. It's also a testimony to how much God's little can bring. And, and I think we have a, a, a challenge in our culture. I think that we um, see God's little often in the world, and we call it coincidence. Right? We call God's little coincidence, and we write it off. Um, you, I've shared this story many times, but one of my favorite accounts is about a man who lost his child at the fair, right? Remember this story? The man loses his child at the fair, and he's not a particularly religious man, but as you can imagine, there's no atheists in foxholes. So in that moment, he starts praying like crazy, right? God, please help me find my son. Please help me find my son. And if you do, I'll do anything you want. I will go to church every day. I'll read the Bible cover to cover. I'll pray every day. Um, God, I will be the most faithful person you can ever imagine. Just help me find my son. And in that moment, um, as he's parting through this crowd, he sees his little boy standing in front of him. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Never mind, God, I found him. Okay, that'll be funny later. Um, and, and I think um, we do that, right? I think that we write off God's providence as our coincidence. Uh, and that's what's happening in the story in Ruth. We're supposed to notice this. It's a little harder in our, in our English translation, but um, we're, we're told in, in um, verse 3 that as it happened, Ruth came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and, and the, the Hebrew, as it happened, a literal translation would be, her chance chanced, right? Her chance chanced. It was just, whoa, what a surprise. Uh, and then uh, in chapter uh, 2, verse 4, it says, just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. And again, the Hebrew here doesn't have the, the connotation of time. It's not that at that moment he came. It has a connotation of surprise, right? It's, wouldn't you know it? At that moment, Boaz showed up. And we are to recognize that while Ruth doesn't know what's going on and Boaz doesn't know what's going on, God is involved and this is God's little and he can bring so much from it. Uh, And I think it's so easy for us uh, to play the what if game, right? What if this was different in my life? Um, What if Ruth had walked away before Boaz got there? What if Boaz had seen her in the distance but not called her back? What if Boaz um, had not been so overwhelmingly gracious to her. And and I don't want to suggest that every little detail of every little thing that ever happens is always God. But I do want to suggest um, that sometimes in our life, we are inclined to see coincidence when we ought to see providence, right? When it's really God's little that we're seeing. And God can do extraordinary things from his little. Uh, You know, I'm a, a West Wing fan. Uh, And there's a West Wing episode where the president is wrestling with a a moral decision. And in the course of the story, there's a priest who comes and talks to him. And then, actually, there's a roundabout way a rabbi comes and speaks to him. And then, again, in a weird series of events, there's a Quaker that comes and talks to him. And they all give him kind of the same advice. Then at the end of the story, um, he asks his own priest to come and counsel him in the Oval Office. Uh, The decision is already passed. Um, but he's trying to figure out where God was in the midst of it. And I just want to play this familiar parable.
1: You remind me of the man that lived by the river. He heard a radio report that the river was going to rush up and flood the town and that all the residents should evacuate their homes. But the man said, I'm religious. I pray God loves me. God will save me. The waters rose up. A guy in a rowboat came along and he shouted, hey, hey, you, you in there, the town is flooding. Let me take you to safety, but the man shouted back, I'm religious, I pray, God loves me, God will save me. A helicopter was hovering overhead and a guy with a megaphone shouted, hey, you, you down there, the town is flooding. Let me drop this ladder and I'll take you to safety. But the man shouted back that he was religious, that he prayed that God loved him and that God would take him to safety. Well, the man drowned. And standing at the gates of St. Peter, he demanded an audience with God. Lord, he said, I'm a religious man. I pray. I thought you loved me. Why did this happen? God said, I sent you a radio report, a helicopter, and a guy in a rowboat. What are you doing here? He sent you a priest, a rabbi, and a Quaker. Mr. President, not to mention his son, Jesus Christ. What do you want from him?
0: I love that moment, right? And I think, boy, that's me. that so often I find a way to explain away um, all the words of God that show up in my life, and then I complain, right, that God won't speak up or show up when I need him. And, and so again, I'm not saying that every random thing is God. I am saying that God is acting if only we have eyes to see it. And in a broken world, the evidence of God's transformation is all around us. We, we see it in the story of Ruth and Boaz, um, which begins with very little, no food, no work, and ends with very much, right? With, with, an FF, with, with a week's worth of food for two people gathered in one day and the promise of work again tomorrow. With the bringing together of the line of David and the hope of a future kingdom, because we know, of course, that from Ruth and Boaz comes David in a few generations. Um, from, from little, from this widow, who has no hope in this culture where she is a foreigner, will ultimately come the Messiah himself. Will ultimately come Jesus our Lord. And and so uh, I want to encourage you this week, and I want to encourage me this week, uh, to do really two simple things. To recognize that when I'm called to move forward from my past, to my future, that sometimes it's just these little steps that matter and that from my little, God can do much, right? My little acts of faithfulness and justice and grace, God can do much. And then to remember that from God's little, He can do anything. And my little plus God's little is more than enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.